chapter twenty six of campaigning with grant by horace porter this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty six grant draws the net tighter around the enemy president lincoln's last visit to grant grant's foresight attack on fort stedman the president tells some anecdotes mr lincoln's kindness to animals sheridan's final orders the president reviews the army of the james sheridan reached white house on march nineteen after having made a campaign seldom equalled in activity through a difficult country and during incessant rains he had whipped the enemy at all points captured seventeen pieces of artillery and sixteen hundred prisoners and destroyed fifty-six canal locks five aqueducts twenty-three railroad bridges forty canal and road bridges together with forty miles of railroad numerous warehouses and factories and vast quantities of military supplies on march twenty stoneman advanced toward east tennessee and on the same day canby moved his forces against mobile sherman had whipped all the troops opposed to him in his march through the carolinas and destroyed communications in all directions he and schofield met with their armies at goldsboro north carolina on the twenty third of march and about all the points on the atlantic coast were now in our possession when sheridan started to join grant hancock had been put in command of the middle military division the various armies were all working successfully with a common purpose in view and under one watchful guiding mind the web was being woven closer and closer about the confederate capital and the cause of secession was every day drawing nearer to its doom general grant's only anxiety now was to prevent the escape of the enemy from richmond before he could be struck a crushing blow no campaign in force could be made at this time by moving around to the west of lee's army and heading it off in that direction for the reason that the rainy season still continued and rendered the roads difficult for infantry and impassable for wagons and artillery and because sheridan's cavalry had not yet joined our army in front of petersburg every possible precaution was taken meanwhile to prevent lee from withdrawing his army scouts and spies were more active than ever before about thirty thousand men were kept virtually on the picket line and all the troops were equipped and supplied ready to make a forced march at a moment's notice in case lee should be found moving it was now ascertained that sheridan could start from white house on march twenty five to join the army of the potomac and on the twenty fourth orders were issued for a general movement of the armies operating against petersburg and richmond to begin on the night of the twenty eighth for the purpose of marching around lee's right breaking up his last remaining railroads the danville and the south side and giving if possible the final blow to the confederacy on march twenty general grant had telegraphed the president can you not visit city point for a day or two i would like very much to see you and i think the rest would do you good this invitation was promptly accepted and on the twenty fourth word came that he was on his way up the james aboard the river queen about nine o'clock that evening the steamer approached the wharf and general grant with those of us who were with him at the moment including robert lincoln went down to the landing and met the president mrs lincoln and their youngest son tad and several ladies who had come from washington with the presidential party the meeting was very cordial it lasted but a short time however as mr lincoln and his family were evidently fatigued by the trip and it was thought that they might want to retire at an early hour 
his steamer was escorted by a naval vessel named the bat commanded by captain john s barnes an accomplished officer of the navy grant with his usual foresight had predicted that lee would make a determined assault at some point on our lines in an endeavor to throw our troops into confusion and then make his escape before our men could recover from their consternation and be prepared to follow him closely as early as february twenty two the general-in-chief sent a very characteristic dispatch to park who was temporarily in command of the army of the potomac during meade's absence as there is a possibility of an attack from the enemy at any time and especially an attempt to break your centre extra vigilance should be kept up both by the pickets and the troops on the line let commanders understand that no time is to be lost awaiting orders if an attack is made in bringing all their resources to the point of danger with proper alacrity in this respect i would have no objection to seeing the enemy get through on the evening of the twenty fourth of march general meade came to headquarters to meet mrs meade who had arrived by steamer at city point and general grant suggested to him that he had better remain over till the next day which he did general ord also stayed at headquarters that night about six o'clock the next morning march twenty five the camp was awakened and was soon all astir by reason of a message from the petersburg front saying that the enemy had broken through our lines near fort stedman and was making a heavy attack soon after it was found that the telegraph line had been broken and as messages would now have to come most of the distance by couriers there was increased anxiety as to the movement general grant saw at once that his prediction of a month before had been fulfilled but believed that the cautions given would be observed so that he did not experience much apprehension we had wakened him the moment the announcement came by rapping upon the door of the room occupied by him and mrs grant and in reply to his question the dispatch was read aloud enough for him to hear it without opening the door he dressed at once and as this was a process which never occupied many minutes he was soon out in front of his quarters where he was met by meade and others meade was greatly nettled by the fact that he was absent from his command at such a time and was pacing up and down with great strides and dictating orders to his chief of staff general webb who was with him in tones which showed very forcibly the intensity of his feelings the president who was aboard his boat anchored out in the river soon heard of the attack and he was kept informed of the events which were taking place by his son robert who carried the news to him general grant with his usual aggressiveness telegraphed to the army of the james this may be a signal for leaving be ready to take advantage of it it was nearly two hours before any very definite information could be obtained but the news began to be favorable and by half-past eight o'clock it was learned that our whole line had been recaptured many prisoners taken and that everything was again quiet mr lincoln now sent a telegram to the secretary of war winding up with the words robert just now tells me there was a little rumpus up the line this morning ending about where it began generals meade and ord returned as soon as they could to their respective commands and took vigorous measures against the enemy it seems that the richmond authorities had come to the conclusion that their position was no longer tenable and that their army must retreat as soon as possible a successful attack on our right it was hoped 
would throw our troops into confusion and while we were maturing plans for the recapture of the lost portion of our lines and drawing in troops from our left for this purpose lee would find an opportunity to make a forced march with his army toward the carolinas this attack was one of the most dramatic events of the siege of petersburg it was commanded by general j b gordon there had been placed at his disposal for the purpose about one-half of lee's entire army for some time men had been leaving the ranks of the enemy and making their way to us through the lines at night the arms which they brought in were purchased from them at a fair price and everything possible was done to encourage these desertions the attacking party knowing of this practice took advantage of it and succeeded in having his skirmishers gain an entrance to our lines in the guise of deserters and suddenly make prisoners of our pickets just before dawn our trench guards were overpowered our main line was broken between two of our batteries and fort steadman after a brief but gallant resistance was captured and its guns turned against our own troops several more batteries to the right and left were soon taken and as friends could not be distinguished from foes owing to the darkness it was for a time difficult for our troops to use artillery further assaults however were handsomely repulsed as soon as there was sufficient light a heavy artillery fire was concentrated on the enemy and at a quarter to eight o'clock hartranth advanced towards fort steadman and recaptured it with comparatively little loss the movement was well planned and carried out with skill and boldness but it proved a signal failure it was a desperate military gamble with very few chances of winning it was a curious coincidence that on the same day that lee was preparing for his assault on our right grant was writing his orders for a general movement of the union armies against the enemy's right general grant proposed to the president that forenoon that he should accompany him on a trip to the petersburg front the invitation was promptly accepted and several hours were spent in visiting the troops who cheered the president enthusiastically he was greatly interested in looking at the prisoners who had been captured that morning and while at meade's headquarters about two o'clock sent a dispatch to stanton saying i have nothing to add to what general meade reports except that i have seen the prisoners myself and they look like there might be the number he states sixteen hundred the president carried a map with him which he took out of his pocket and examined several times he had the exact location of the troops marked on it and he exhibited a singularly accurate knowledge of the various positions upon the return to headquarters at city point he sat for a while by the campfire and as the smoke curled about his head during certain shiftings of the wind and he brushed it away from time to time by waving his right hand in front of his face he entertained the general-in-chief and several members of the staff by talking in a most interesting manner about public affairs and illustrating the subjects mentioned with his incomparable anecdotes at first his manner was grave and his language much more serious than usual he spoke of the appalling difficulties encountered by the administration the losses in the field the perplexing financial problems and the foreign complications but said they had all been overcome by the unswerving patriotism of the people the devotion of the loyal north and the superb fighting qualities of the troops after a while he spoke in a more cheerful vein and said england will live to regret her inimical attitude towards us 
after the collapse of the rebellion john bull will find that he has injured himself much more seriously than us his action reminds me of a barber in sangamon county in my state he had just gone to bed when a stranger came along and said he must be shaved that he had a four days beard on his face and was going to take a girl to a ball and that beard must come off well the barber got up reluctantly and dressed and seated the man in a chair with a back so low that every time he bore down on him he came near dislocating his victim's neck he began by lathering his face including his nose eyes and ears stropped his razor on his boot and then made a drive at the man's countenance as if he had practised mowing in a stubble field he cut a bold swath across the right cheek carrying away the beard a pimple and two warts the man in the chair ventured to remark you appear to make everything level as you go yes said the barber and if this handle don't break i guess i'll get away with most of what's there the man's cheeks were so hollow that the barber couldn't get down into the valleys with the razor and the ingenious idea occurred to him to stick his finger in the man's mouth and press out the cheeks finally he cut clear through the cheek and into his own finger he pulled the finger out of the man's mouth snapped the blood off it glared at him and cried there you lantern-jawed cuss you've made me cut my finger and so england will discover that she has got the south into a pretty bad scrape by trying to administer to her and in the end she will find that she has only cut her own finger after the laugh which followed this story had exhausted itself general grant asked mr president did you at any time doubt the final success of the cause never for a moment was the prompt and emphatic reply as mr lincoln leaned forward in his camp chair and enforced his words by a vigorous gesture of his right hand mr seward when he visited me last summer gave a very interesting account of the complications and embarrassments arising from the mason and slidell affair when those commissioners were captured on board the english vessel trent remarked general grant yes said the president seward studied up all the works ever written on international law and came to cabinet meetings loaded to the muzzle with the subject we gave due consideration to the case but at that critical period of the war it was soon decided to deliver up the prisoners it was a pretty bitter pill to swallow but i contented myself with believing that england's triumph in the matter would be short-lived and that after ending our war successfully we would be so powerful that we could call her to account for all the embarrassments she had inflicted upon us i felt a good deal like the sick man in illinois who was told he probably hadn't many days longer to live and he ought to make his peace with any enemies he might have he said the man he hated worst of all was a fellow named brown in the next village and he guessed he had better begin on him so brown was sent for and when he came the sick man began to say in a voice as meek as moses that he wanted to die at peace with all his fellow-creatures and he hoped he and brown could now shake hands and bury all their enmity the scene was becoming altogether too pathetic for brown who had to get out his handkerchief and wipe the gathering tears from his eyes it wasn't long before he melted and gave his hand to his neighbor and they had a regular love-feast of forgiveness after a parting that would have softened the heart of a grindstone brown had about reached the room door when the sick man rose up on his elbow and called out to him but see here brown if i should happen to get well mind that old grudge stands 
so i thought that if this nation should happen to get well we might want that old grudge against england to stand it was a singular sequel to this conversation that the officer to whom he was then speaking became mr lincoln's successor in the presidential chair and carried out this determination by securing a settlement of the account known in history as the alabama claims and the payment from england of fifteen and a half millions of dollars as compensation for damages inflicted upon our commerce the president now went aboard his boat to spend the night the next morning he wandered into the tent of the headquarters telegraph operator where several of us were sitting he pulled out of his pocket a telegram which he had received from the secretary of war and his face assumed a broad smile as he said well the serious stanton is actually becoming facetious just listen to what he says in his dispatch your telegram and park's report of the scrimmage this morning are received the rebel rooster looks a little the worse as he could not hold the fence we have nothing new here now you are away everything is quiet and the tormentors vanished i hope you will remember general harrison's advice to his men at tippecanoe that they can see as well a little farther off three tiny kittens were crawling about the tent at the time the mother had died and the little wanderers were expressing their grief by mewing piteously mr lincoln picked them up took them in his lap stroked their soft fur and murmured poor little creatures don't cry you'll be taken good care of and turning to bowers said colonel i hope you will see that these poor little motherless waifs are given plenty of milk and treated kindly bowers replied i will see mr president that they are taken in charge by the cook of our mess and are well cared for several times during his stay mr lincoln was found fondling these kittens he would wipe their eyes tenderly with his handkerchief stroke their smooth coats and listen to them purring their gratitude to him it was a curious sight at an army headquarters upon the eve of a great military crisis in the nation's history to see the hand which had affixed the signature to the emancipation proclamation and had signed the commissions of all the heroic men who served the cause of the union from the general-in-chief to the lowest lieutenant tenderly caressing three stray kittens it well illustrated the kindness of the man's disposition and showed the childlike simplicity which was mingled with the grandeur of his nature general grant had sent word to sheridan whose troops were now crossing the james to come in person to headquarters and early on the morning of march twenty sixth he arrived rawlins and several other officers were in front of our quarters at the time and upon seeing sheridan who had been separated from us for so long a time we hurried forward to greet him rawlins in his enthusiasm seized both of sheridan's hands in his own wrung them vigorously and then went to patting him on the back sheridan returned all the greetings warmly and rawlins now informed him that general grant had made up his mind to send the cavalry through to join sherman destroying all communications as they went sheridan looked greatly annoyed at this information and rawlins agreed with him that such a move ought not to be made sheridan was told that the general-in-chief was awaiting him in his quarters and went in and had a long talk the general showed him the written instructions which he had prepared and to which rawlins had just referred they directed him to proceed with his cavalry around lee's right and then to move independently under other instructions sheridan felt convinced from what was said verbally that he was expected to cut loose and move down to sherman's army 
some of the staff now entered the room and found sheridan arguing against the policy of such a move when he rose up to go the general followed him out and had a few words of private conversation we learned afterward that he told sheridan that the part of the instructions to which he objected was merely a blind that he intended to end the contest at once where we were and that sheridan was to operate against lee's right and be in at the death he said in case the operations of the cavalry should not be an entire success the people would take it for granted that a definite movement which they had been expected had been a complete failure and they would be greatly discouraged so i wanted the impression to prevail that a different movement had been contemplated i really have no intention of sending you to sherman this was the general's little secret which he had kept from all the staff and revealed to the cavalry commander sheridan only at the last moment sheridan was made happy by this conversation and immediately told it to rawlins who was as much delighted as sheridan himself it was decided that upon this day mr lincoln would review a portion of the army of the james on the north side of the james river and sheridan was invited to join the party from headquarters who were to accompany the president the boat started from city point at eleven o'clock at breakfast general grant said to me i shall accompany the president who is to ride cincinnati as he seems to have taken a fancy to him i wish you would take mrs lincoln and mrs grant to the reviewing ground in our headquarters ambulance i expressed my pleasure at being selected for so pleasant a mission and arranged to have the ambulance and two good horses put aboard the headquarters boat which was to carry the party up the river captain barnes who commanded the vessel which had escorted the president's steamer was to be one of the party and i loaned him my horse this was a favor which was usually accorded with some reluctance to naval officers when they came ashore for these men of the ocean at times tried to board the animal on the starboard side and often rolled in the saddle as if there was a heavy sea on and if the horse in his anxiety to rid himself of a sea monster tried to scrape his rider off by rubbing against a tree the officer attributed the unseamanlike conduct of the animal entirely to the fact that his steering gear had become unshipped a naval hero not long before had borrowed a horse ashore and attempted to make his seat firmer on deck by grappling the animal's beam ends with his spurs which caused the horse to run a little too free before the wind and when the officer could not succeed in making him shorten sail by hauling in on the reins he took out his jack-knife and dug it in the animal's flanks swearing that if he could not bring the craft to in any other way he would scuttle it navy officers were about as reluctant to lend their boats to army people for fear they would knock holes in the bottom when jumping in breaking the oars and catching crabs and stave in the bows through an excess of modesty which manifested itself in a reluctance to give the command way enough in time when approaching a wharf the president was in a more gloomy mood than usual on the trip up the james he spoke with much seriousness about the situation and did not attempt to tell a single anecdote as the boat passed the point where sheridan's cavalry was crossing the river on the pontoon bridge he manifested considerable interest in watching the troopers and addressed a number of questions to their commander when the boat reached the landing on the north side of the river i helped the two distinguished ladies who had been entrusted to my care into the ambulance and started for the reviewing ground about two miles distant the horsemen got the start of us and made good time 
but as the road was swampy and part of it corduroyed with the trunks of small trees without much reference to their relative size or regularity of position the ambulance could make but slow progress some additional springs had been put under it and cross seats managed so as to make it ride more easily than the ordinary army ambulance but the improved springs only served to toss the occupants higher in the air when the wheels struck a particularly aggravating obstacle mrs lincoln finding we were losing time and fearing we would miss part of the review expressed a wish to move faster and i reluctantly gave the order to the driver we were still on a corduroyed portion of the road and when the horses trotted the mud flew in all directions and a sudden jolt lifted the party clear off the seats jammed the ladies hats against the top of the wagon and bumped their heads as well mrs lincoln now insisted on getting out and walking but as the mud was nearly hub deep mrs grant and i persuaded her that we had better stick to the wagon as our only ark of refuge finally we reached our destination but it was some minutes after the review had begun mrs ord and the wives of several of the officers who had come up from fort monroe for the purpose appeared on horseback as a mounted escort to mrs lincoln and mrs grant this added a special charm to the scene and the review passed off with peculiar brilliancy mrs grant enjoyed the day with great zest but mrs lincoln had suffered so much from the fatigue and annoyances of her overland trip that she was not in a mood to derive much pleasure from the occasion i made up my mind that ambulances viewed as vehicles for driving distinguished ladies to military reviews were not a stupendous success and that thereafter they had better be confined to their legitimate uses of transporting the wounded and attending funerals upon the return trip on the boat the president seemed to recover his spirits perhaps the manifestation of strength on the part of the splendid army of the james which he had witnessed at the review had served to cheer him up he told one excellent story on the way back in speaking of a prominent general and the failure of the numerous attempts on the president's part to make the officer's services useful to the country and the necessity finally of relieving him from all command he said i was not more successful than the blacksmith in our town in my boyhood days when he tried to put to a useful purpose a big piece of wrought iron that was in the shop he heated it put it on the anvil and said i'm going to make a sledge-hammer out of you after a while he stopped hammering it looked at it and remarked guess i've drawed you out a little too fine for a sledge-hammer reckon i'd better make a clevis of you he stuck it in the fire blew the bellows got up a good heat then began shaping the iron again on the anvil pretty soon he stopped sized it up with his eye and said guess i've drawed you out too thin for a clevis suppose i'd better make a clevis bolt of you he put it in the fire bore down still harder on the bellows drew out the iron and went to work at it once more on the anvil in a few minutes he stopped took a look and exclaimed well now i've got you down a leetle too thin even to make a clevis bolt out of you then he rammed it in the fire again threw his whole weight on the bellows got up a white heat on the iron jerked it out carried it in the tongs to the water barrel held it over the barrel and cried i've tried to make a sledge-hammer of you and failed i've tried to make a clevis of you and failed i've tried to make a clevis bolt of you and failed now darn you i'm going to make a fizzle of you and with that he soused it in the water and let it fizz it was nearly dark when the party returned to city point 
after dinner the band was brought down to the steamboat and a dance was improvised several ladies were aboard and they and the officers danced till midnight neither the president nor general grant joined even in a square dance but sat in the after part of the boat conversing sheridan stayed overnight at city point and started early in the morning for the cavalry headquarters on the petersburg front End of chapter 26